ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದ ಉಪದೇಷ್ಟಾರೀಶ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕೋಕಾಕಾರಣಮ್ಯಹಂಪರೋಕ್ಷನುಭೂತಿ ವಿ ವರ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿಂಗ್ ವೇದಾಂತಿಕ್ ಮೆಡಿಟೇಷನ್ ನಿಧಿಧ್ಯಾಸನ ಸ್ಟಡಿ ದ ಟೆಕ್ಸ್ಟ್ ಹಿಯರ್ ಇಟ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಅ ಟೀಚರ್ ದಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಕಾಲ್ಡ್ ಶ್ರವಣ ಲಿಟರಲಿ ಹಿಯರಿಂಗ್ ಥಿಂಕ್ ಇಟ್ ಥ್ರೂ ಆಸ್ ಕ್ವೆಶನ್ಸ್ ಥಿಂಕ್ ಇಟ್ ಥ್ರೂ ದಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಕಾಲ್ಡ್ ಮನನ after you know the teaching after you have gained some clarity in it then you bear down upon it assimilate the teaching make it a living teaching uh, in nididhyasana nididhyasana is vedantic meditation and shankaracharya has given nididhyasana in this text in details he deals with vedantic meditation as a 15 step process or 15 practices and the last time we saw pranayama you remember that shankaracharya has borrowed the terms from yoga but given it a distinct vedantic interpretation pranayama is control of the breath ayama means control so um the yogis discovered that the breathing is connected to the state of the mind and if you can control the breathing make it calm and rhythmic and regular and deep the mind also becomes peaceful and this so they studied it in great detail and and generated or uh, devised multiple practices if you go to a good hatha yoga teacher they can teach you many of those pranayama techniques but shankaracharya here gives a deeper meaning a more advanced meaning a vedantic meaning to pranayama what he says is dwelling on brahman is pranayama how is that pranayama what is the practice then the practice is pranayama has three parts B- breathing out breathing in holding the breath so breathing out is called rechaka breathing in is called puraka and holding the breath is called kumbhaka shankaracharya gives distinct advaitic meanings to each of these terms breathing out is not the common thing what what we understand by that <sighs> breathing out not like that breathing out is you breathe out the universe you breathing out is seeing the falsity of the universe what is breathing out the universe we have accepted this universe as real there is a real world out there and here i am to see the falsity of the universe jagat mithyatva that is breathing out and what is breathing in breathing in is breathing in the fact that you are brahman the absolute i am brahman aham brahmasmi this knowledge dwelling on that is breathing in and what is holding the breath stabilizing yourself in this knowledge aham brahmasmi that is holding the breath in fact at first one can even actually practice it like that breathing out the world is an appearance breathing in i am none other than brahman don't hold the breath too long mm-hmm. i don't know if one will get stabilized in brahman or your face turns blue <laughs> holding the breath no but actually there's no uh, shankaracharya does not say you have to link it with the breath as a nice technique it might be because we are breathing all the time so if you link it in your mind whenever you suddenly notice that you're breathing in or breathing out the vedantic dictum comes to your mind that brahman alone is real or i am brahman the world is an appearance so that will automatically come to your mind with by association so that is pranayama in the yogic in patanjali yoga sutras yoga has eight limbs ashtanga yoga ashtanga yoga eight limbs and if you look at the limbs of yoga they are arranged in order of interiority that means from external to internal the practices go inwards the reason is yoga considers the inner self to be the, the goal to you have to realize that you are pure consciousness your own inner self you have to realize that you are not the body and mind and so your attention has to be directed inwards from outwards to inwards that is the goal 
in, in yoga, Patanjali yoga. Um, that's why the practices are graded from external to internal. If you consider the Patanjali yoga practices, Ashtanga yoga, Yama, which are, which are the um, moral practices, Yama and Niyama, Yama, Yama deals with relationships with other people, basically. You can look at it that way. Non-violence, truth, uh, restraining from sexual impropriety, non-stealing, um, then uh, not, uh, not acceptance of gifts, five practices, independence from taking gifts. These are all they have to do, do with our relationships to other people. So that's the first one. Now you go a little closer to yourself, the niyamas, they are also external, but things like keeping yourself clean, contentment with one's lot in life, um, regular study or chanting of the scriptures, things like that, what you do with your body. So that's closer to yourself. Then the third one, can anyone tell me? Yama, Niyama? Mm -hmm. no, not in our, not in the 15 thing, the, the eight limbs of Patanjali Yoga. Yama, Niyama, Asana. Asana means sitting. So, now that you go even more interior. What do you do with the body? Sit. So, you're, clo you're coming closer to the inner self, sitting. Then the fourth one will be Asana, Pranayama. You go even more internal, breathing. So now, now we'll come to the next practice in Patanjali Yoga, which is Pratyahara. What is Pratyahara? Drawing the senses away from their um, respective objects, from their external engagements, back into the mind. Pratyahara. That will be the, um, the, the fifth limb. The sixth limb will be Dharana. Focus. Even more internal. Focus of what? Focus of the mind. See how we have gone from other people to one's own activities, to the body, to the breath, to the withdrawing of the senses from the world. So that is Pratyahara. That will be the, uh, the uh, uh, sixth. No. Fifth practice. The sixth practice, remember we are in the scheme of eight limbs of yoga. The sixth practice is Dharana, focus. You have withdrawn the sense organs from external world into the mind so that you are not disturbed by the world. Now with that undisturbed mind, focus on the object of meditation, whatever you are meditating upon. So like a laser beam like focus is generated. And then that focus turns, deepens even more interior into meditation. Dharana becomes Dhyana, seventh limb. And that dhyana matures into samadhi, the complete absorption, meditative absorption, which leads to enlightenment. Yoga, chitta, vritti, nirodha. Yoga is the cessation of the modifications of the mind stuff. That is the eight-limbed yoga of Patanjali. Not what we are doing, but in contrast. This is necessary for the contrast to the Advaitic yoga, or the, the, the Vedantic meditation which we are doing. So the next thing in, in uh, order of interiority is Pratyahara, withdrawing from the world, external world. Let's read the 121st verse. Vishayeshvatmatam drishtva, Vishayeshvatmatam drishtva, Manasaschiti majjanam, Manasaschiti majjanam, Pratyahara Savigyeyo Pratyahara Savigyeyo Abhyasani Yomu Mukshubhi Abhyasani Yomu Mukshubhi So the absorption of the mind in the Supreme Consciousness by realizing Atman in all objects is known as Pratyahara Withdrawal of the, actually withdrawal of the senses into the mind which should be practiced by the seekers after liberation so this is the Advaitic Pratyahara. First take a look at the Yogic Pratyahara. The senses disturb the mind. Senses go out to their objects. Eyes, 
see things. Ears hear sound. Sound. The skin touches, touch. The nose smells. The tongue tastes. The five sense organs go out to their respective objects. Form, sound, uh, taste, touch, smell. And they bring in this input into the mind. And the mind breaks out into waves, vritti, modifications on whatever the senses drag home. What senses go out into the world and drag things in from the world outside into their mind. This dragging things in from outside into ourselves, into our inner, inner being, this is called ahara. In Sanskrit, ahara means when you bring something from out inwards. So literally eating is called ahara or food is called ahara in Sanskrit. In many Indian languages also food is called ahara. Because what do you do with the food? You take it up and you bring it in, not there. So you bring it in. So that's why it's called ahara. But actually whatever we bring in, if you see something, what you are seeing, I'm seeing the flowers. What I've done is I've brought the flowers into my mind. You are hearing these words. What you have done is you have taken these words into your mind. Touch, taste, smell. We are continuously taking sense inputs into the mind. So all these sense inputs are called ahara. And the moment you bring something into the mind, the mind takes that form. So the mind is continually busy with sense objects. It is said that... Um, the Atman, the true self, your real nature, pure consciousness, that's the master. And the mind is the servant of the true self, your true self. And the sense organs are the servants of the mind. But today what has happened? What is our condition now? We, the master of the mind, which is the master of the sense organs, we have become slaves to our senses. Kinkarasya kinkarei ahaha kinkari krito. One senior monk told me this uh, phrase from uh, an old Sanskrit phrase. Alas, I have been made a servant by the servant of my servant. The one which is supposed to do my bidding, my mind, has its own minions, the sense organs. But I, the pure consciousness, am supposed to be the master of the mind. I have become a slave to the sense organs. The, what the eyes want to see, I, I want to see that, I want to taste this, I want to touch this, I want, want to hear that. So continuously the mind is kept busy with sense inputs and therefore if you want to withdraw and meditate, the sense inputs have to be given up for a time being. This withdrawal, pratyahara. Ahara means taking in, pratyahara, prati means opposite. So what's the opposite of taking in? Not taking in. Not, take, not taking in. In the Patanjali Yoga Sutra, the word is used, a technical word, Svavishaya Asamprayoga. Svavishaya Asamprayoga. In the end of the second chapter of the Patanjali Yoga Sutras, towards the end, the last but one sutra uses the word Svavishaya Asamprayoga. Non-contact with its own object. Non-contact with its own object. Now there is a definition. You might ask, how do you do that? Oh, before I say that, I remember there's an interesting saying in old Sanskrit, uh, old Sanskrit saying which says that um, wish it, it's a pun on the word vishaya. Because in most Indian languages and Sanskrit also, vishaya means object of senses. Visha means poison. Okay, they sound alike. Visha, poison. Vishaya, sense object. So there's a play on these words. Um, Visham hanti attaram. Poison kills the one who eats poison or, or ingests poison. Smarana matrena eva vishayam. Just remembering the vishaya is enough to kill you. Just thinking about it. Kill you means it takes you away from self-knowledge. So vishaya, visha, poison, kills if, if one eats it, ingests it. And vishaya, Sense object kills, kills in the within quotes. It takes you away from your real nature. You lose uh, sight of your true nature as the Atman. That's a, like a death, a spiritual death. 
only by remembering vishaya sense objects the most radical teaching of advaita is found in the ashtavakra gita very radical teaching of advaita vedanta and the first instruction there muktim ichchasi chetata my son the great sage ashtavakra is teaching the emperor janaka and he says to the emperor my son if you want liberation mukti if you want liberation vishayan vishavatyaja give up sense objects like poison that's the first instruction the highest philosophy is to follow the highest advaita but the first instruction is this the gateway is pratyahara withdrawal from sense objects this is what um yoga says and how do you do it how do you withdraw from sense objects how do you withdraw the organs the technique is indicated rather cryptically in the yoga sutras the senses are to be withdrawn from their objects into the mind making them one with the mind what does it mean how can i make the eyes one with the mind or the nose one with the mind what it means is basically actually shutting the eyes or putting on earplugs is is no direct way of giving up sense objects you might prevent the contact of the senses with their objects but if the mind desires things then the mind will think about that if the mind thinks of something the senses will follow there senses will do the bidding of the mind and then they bring in stuff from outside and they disturb the mind you see basically it's the sense inputs which disturb the mind imagine if somewhere where to be so careful about eating somewhere where to go to the dumpster and pick up food from in there and rotten food and put it in in the mouth you'd be sick immediately most of us would get sick immediately but that's what we are doing to the mind all day long all week long all month long we are from the dumpster of the world we pick up without any discrimination seeing things hearing things yeah. and dumping them into the mind no wonder the mind is disturbed so what patanjali says is in order to withdraw the sense objects it's not enough in in aeroplanes what they do you put a um, like a pad on your eyes so that especially international flights and then you put earplugs so patanjali says that's not enough you can't keep cutting off the uh, senses from their organs that's a beginning but what really you have to do is you have to take care of the mind so that the mind does not dwell on the sense objects a very beautiful example is given in an ancient commentary on the patanjali yoga sutras patanjali yoga sutra is one of the oldest texts and there are commentaries on that explanations one of the most ancient commentaries is by vyasa so it's called the vyasa bhashyam in that vyasa says very poetic example when the queen bee flies all bees fly with it and where it alights all the bees alight uh, uh, around it in the same way the mind is the queen bee and the five senses not only the five senses uh, sense organs but the organs of action motor organs also so they are like the other bees wherever the mind flies the senses try to do the bidding of the mind so control the mind keep the mind um, steady and the senses also will not go out it it will it will not affect you so much so that is the core technique to take care of the mind swami vivekananda the commentaries on on yoga sutra are many down to the present age and in fact in this vedanta society swami vivekananda wrote his classic raja yoga which is a new commentary a modern commentary on the uh, yoga sutras it it goes even to till now there is a, one of the best books i've seen the yoga sutras of patanjali professor edwin bryant he is a professor of indian philosophy in uh, rutgers university so we are trying to get him to speak here excellent book he has written on yoga sutras of patanjali what he has done is he has studied the sanskrit commentaries and he has picked out the most practical parts of those commentaries and he has translated into lucid english each sutra 
translation and the best, the gist of the commentaries from different places. And he has put them there. So that book is very nice. Anyhow, so this, this is from the Vyasa Bhashya, that the, the example of the bees. Swami Vivekananda's commentary, Swami Vivekananda makes a subtler and deeper point. We have to understand this. He says, actually, what we see, hear, smell, touch, taste, the inputs of the five senses, are all in the mind. Are all in the mind. What it means is, he says, there is something outside which is the occasion for a movement in the mind, which is transmitted by the senses, and then it generates a movement in the mind. What it means is this. The flower that you are seeing there, Swami Vivekananda says, you are actually not seeing a flower outside. The flower which you are experiencing right now is in your mind. There is a flower outside, let's say, and the light has fallen on that. And the light is reflected to your eyes. From your eyes, and there is an image formed in the retina. From that it is converted into no longer light. It's converted into little electrical um, um, impulses which race along your optic nerve to the brain and there somehow a new image is generated and presented to the mind. How it is done nobody knows. Up to the brain scientists can take and uh, study it, what's going on. But where is the mind there and how does the mind... So in the mind this thing is recreated and you are seeing it. Nobody doubts this, this is a fact. No doctor, no scientist will doubt it. After all, look at the process it has gone through. Flower, light, electrical um, um, uh, image in your, in your retina, electrical impulses, and neurons firing in the brain, to a reconstruction with all the color and glory and everything in your mind. Basically what you see is in your mind. Vivekananda points out. Are you getting me? This is fairly non-controversial. Anybody with basic knowledge of school level science will have to say, yeah, that's true. We are not directly experiencing the world. We are experiencing, what are we experiencing? Representations generated in the mind by our, our sensory system and the brain. So what we see is in the mind. Right now what we are seeing. What we are hearing is in the mind. What we smell, taste, touch, all in the mind. So, he says, real withdrawing of the sense organs from the objects is, if you prevent the mind from breaking out into these forms, into sight, smell, touch, taste, at that level. So he's giving a very subtle instruction there. If you can do that, then Vivekananda says, then comes complete mastery over the sense organs. And then he makes a very interesting comment in the next sutra. Then you realize what a blessing it is to be born. When you get control over this body, the five sense organs and the five motor organs, you'll see what a wonderful thing that the body is and, what a, and then you will really be happy being in this body. He mentions that. This is all not Vedanta. This is Yoga. What does Vedanta say? What's the difference? The difference is this. <clears throat> when you see something, yoga says, close your eyes. Don't see. Huh. Withdraw. Vedanta says, no, 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 see it there. See it there and see, other than use your discrimination, Vedantic discrimination to see, other than the name and form, it is Brahman, the reality which you are searching for. You see, this is a fundamental difference in the philosophy of, of Vedanta and, and Yoga. Um, yoga says the reality is within. The external world only confuses you and deludes you and traps you in samsara. So you have to withdraw from the external world. Shut the doors of the senses. Calm the breathing. Shut the doors of the senses. Focus the mind. The seize the operations of the mind. Then the self which is beyond the mind will become evident. Tada drashtu swarupi avasthanam. Yoga Sutra. But Vedanta says, is the self the ultimate reality only inside? Sri Ramakrishna said, 
Is God there only when you close? When I close my eyes, if I open my eyes, God is not there. What kind of God is it? Depends on closing and opening the eyes. Vedanta says there is only one reality. So the external reality is also Brahman. You should be able to find it there and in here. Of course you can find it in here. If you close your eyes and meditate, of course. You might say, Swami, that's confusing. Because if you look at all the approaches of Vedanta, the Panchakosha Viveka, the physical sheet, the food sheet, the vital sheet, the mental sheet, the intellect sheet, the bliss sheet, aren't you going inwards? Aren't you going inwards? Yes. Drigdrishya Viveka. The forms are seen, eyes are the seer, eyes are experienced, mind is the seer, mind is experienced, the self is the seer. Again, aren't you going inwards? In the Mandukya Upanishad, Avasthatraya Vichara, the waking world, the dream world, the deep sleep world, other than all of this, waking outside, inner the dreaming, further inwards, deep sleep. Beyond that is Turiyam, the fourth aspect of the self. So aren't you going inwards? True, but that's, that's Vedanta for beginners. That's Vedanta 101 for beginners. You cannot stop there. You must go there to discover the reality about yourself, but then you cannot stop there. You cannot stop there. You have to see that reality which you discover within yourself. The witness of the five sheets. The seer of all that is seen, Drigdrishya Viveka. The witness, the Turiya, which, which shines upon the three states of dreaming, waking, dreaming and deep sleep. That itself is also what it appears to be. The entire world of appearance is nothing other than the appearance of that reality. Whereas in yoga there are two distinct realities. Yoga is a dualism, not a non-dualism. Yoga is a dualism. There is consciousness and there is matter, separate from consciousness. So you are consciousness, much like the light and the flower. So the light shines upon the flower, but the light is not the flower, and the flower is not the light. So the world or nature or universe is there, and you are like the light consciousness, and you have to realize that the two of you are different. That's yoga. But Vedanta says, the light and the flower it shines upon are not, uh, this is not the example. The example it gives is, say in dream. You, the one who sees everything in the dream, the people and the places and the animals and all that you see in the dream, all of that is nothing other than, other than you, the dreamer. You are lying in bed and you imagine the whole world. So the whole world that you see is an appearance of yourself in a dream. Just like that, in this waking world also, consciousness alone appears in all these ways. So it should be possible in Vedanta, instead of withdrawing, you should see it there. There itself you should see. Vedantic Pratyahara and, and Yogic Pratyahara are a little different. Suppose you are standing in front of the Atlantic Ocean and you see hundreds of waves, thousands of waves. And now, the yogic pratyahara says, close your eyes, don't see, look away. Vedanta says, look at the wave itself. There itself, other than the waves and the foam and the surf, all of them see that they are water. In order to see that the water in the waves, do you have to look away from the waves or look at the waves? You have to look at the waves. Yes. There's a flower. Yogic pratyahara says, don't look at it, close your eyes. Vedanta says, other than the flower name, other than the flower name and form, what is the one thing about it? Isness. White flower is, red flower is, pink flower is, yellow flower is. Dismiss the white, pink, yellow, red. Isness is common to all of them. Similarly, you find isness in everything. Astitva, Sat, pure being. Look inside. So many thoughts. In all these thoughts, you will find one common background. What is that? Awareness, consciousness. Vedanta says you have to look at it. Another example I'll give you. Two little, two little boys went to a museum. And they saw... Huh? 
they saw a tiger in the museum. The little brother, the younger brother, in terror, he closed his eyes. Oh, looked at me, because he's scared of the tiger. And the older child, he looked closely and he saw, oh, it's a stuffed animal. Don't be silly. You don't have to close your eyes. Now, the first one is the yogic pratyahara. There is the world. It's going to trap me. Look at me. So that my mind doesn't think of the world. And the Vedantic Pratyahara is, look at the world. What do you discover? The Atman. The world is an appearance. It's a stuffed animal. The world is a stuffed tiger. It's not a real tiger. It can't do any harm to you. The reality behind the tiger is, the reality behind the world is none other than yourself. I'm giving this example because uh, I, I had that experience myself. Once we monks were in Mysore and we were taken to visit the Maharaja of Mysore's palace uh, in India. In Mysore. It's a very big palace. Swami Vivekananda visited it. He, he, the Maharaja was a devotee at that time. So, and the Maharaja was at that time after Vivekananda also. Uh, the next Maharaja was also very interested in philosophy. Um, in Advaita Vedanta. It seems he printed the Mandukya Upanishad and distributed it among his subjects. <laughs> so, there is the palace. And a good part of the palace has been made into a museum. The royal family still stays there, but it's magnificent. And so many things, the paintings, a lot of beautiful paintings from Europe. The print paintings, the, the uh, ancient, not ancient, medieval weapons. The um, dresses, all inlaid with gold and silver and diamonds, uh, which the earlier Maharajas used to wear. You have seen, you have those who have visited the Mysore Palace. So, now, I and some other monks, we went there, we had just been given the tour. Because we are monks. Now remember in India, the monks are called Maharaja. Literally the same word. It means great king. So kings are called great kings and so they have because they have all the power and the wealth and the, the, the ceremony and the pomp and the monks have nothing, just the opposite. So they are also called great kings. <laughs> Go figure. So we are also Maharaj. Now when we have been given the tour, the guide said, look Swami, because uh, we are special guests, we are going to, I'm going to take you to a special room which is not open to everybody. So it's, it's quite funny, you know, we are going with the crowd. And suddenly he beckons to us into the exhibit itself. There are narrow walkways, there are exhibits. So we walk in to the glares of the other, other people who, you know, who felt left out. Where are the big... And then we literally disappear behind a, a, a wall of mirrors. It opens up and then we go inside. And there's this old huge iron key which he puts and opens it. And you step inside. There's no light. And then the first light which is switched on is very dim. It's an old ceiling light. You are surrounded by 30 to 40 tigers. <coughs> Yet so beautifully mounted and it's a low light. There's a huge tigers all around. All the ones which have been hunted by the Maharajas of different generations. There are tigers, there are lions, there are uh, bears. So they are all around you. You're in the middle of that. <laughs> uh, so actually you can walk through that. It can be quite a shock, even for a grown-up person, knowing that you're in a museum and they're definitely all <laughs> stuffed animals, but it's to see it in front of you just like that, snarling at you, yes. But then next moment you realize, oh, they are stuffed animals, and you can enjoy it. You won't be terrified. But I'm sure a little kid would be terrified in the middle of that. And even a grown-up person would be terrified. Suppose you're left there, and at night, and you have no way of getting out, and you sit you know, all around, surrounded by all these long, dead, ferocious animals. And, and there on the walls are mounted the uh, special, the, the weapons which were used by the kings to uh, kill these animals and all. Anyhow, so the Vedantic approach is to see that what appears to be a threatening world, a terrifying world, is a stuffed animal, it's not real. Jagat Mithya. How do you do that? Whether it's threatening or whether it's tempting, it's none other than Brahman. The verse says, 
विषयेशु आत्मतां दृष्ट्वा मनसा चितिमज्जनम वेरी ब्यूटीफुल द वेदांतिक प्रत्याहार इज इन ऑल थिंग्स दैट यू सी डोंट क्लोज योर आईज डोंट प्लग योर इयर्स इन ऑल थिंग्स दैट यू सी सी योरसेल्फ इन देम दैट यू योरसेल्फ द रियल सेल्फ सच्चिदानंद विद दैट नेम एंड फॉर्म इज अपीयरिंग एज द वर्ल्ड here the example the story of the princess of kashi is again very relevant you remember that story about the prince who when he was a little kid acted as a princess in a dramatic performance and a painting was made and many years later when he grew up he stumbled upon that painting and he saw that the painting was made 15 years ago and so this girl must be is my age must be grown up now and he falls in imagines this princess and he falls in love with her and he wants to marry her until the wise minister comes and rains on his parade, parade. <laughs> comes and tells him that see um, 15 years ago there was a dramatic performance and you were a little kid at that time we dressed you up as that character and this is a painting of you at that time now the object of his temptation the object of his love which he wanted something separate from him in this world the princess of kashi what did it turn out to be himself by seeing it's a wonderful story by seeing himself he realizes there is no princess of kashi out there the princess of kashi out there which he thought about which he fantasized and he wanted to marry is mithya and appearance what's the reality about it what's the reality about that i myself the prince says i myself am this the vedantic dictum that thou art tattvamasi thou art that so vishayeshu atmatam drishtva in all experiences of the world whether tempting or terrifying so i'm vivekananda says the w- things of the world are dead in themselves we breathe life into them then we run after them or we run away from them breathe life into them how do we do that we lend them existence reality existence means we lend them a separate existence just like the prince thought that princess of kashi is a separate person no we lend them existence we lend them awareness we illumine them with our awareness and we lend them value this is called adhyasa shobhana adhyasa that this is nice first of all this is real it's separate from me and it's nice so i want it or this is real it's separate from me and it's terrifying so i'm scared of it in all cases see that it's nothing other than satchidananda which you are you the sat you the chit you alone are giving it existence you alone are lending it value then you desire it or you are scared of it see that visheshu atmatam drishtva whatever you experience you don't have to turn your eyes away from it it is brahman it is your own real higher spiritual nature it is none other than god whatever you see is brahman whatever you hear is brahman whatever you taste and smell and touch is brahman the very mind which takes up all these shapes and forms that mind is also brahman waking is brahman dream is brahman deep sleep is brahman those who are attending uh, the mandukya classes will be confused swami you said waking dreaming deep sleep are not brahman the, the one uh, the fourth one turiyam is brahman true but the fourth one alone is true and the first three are appearances of the fourth one so if there are appearances the snake which you see by mistake is what is it it's actually a rope where is the rope the reality there itself so two things are important the snake is false the rope is real and the rope is nothing other than the false false as uh, false snake is nothing other than the real rope the false snake is nothing other than the real rope the false world which tempts and scares you is nothing other than the reality brahman so okay but brahman can still tempt me or scare me it can't because it's you it's you nothing in the in, a, in the false world can tempt you what you see in a movie screen 
you can enjoy it. I've given this example earlier. I saw a 3D movie, when the first one to be made in India. And uh, I guess very crude by today's standards. But we were little kids and we were thrilled. We had to wear those glasses. And then to sit there and it was a remake of the Ramayana or something like that. And uh, they shoot arrows. And the arrows fly out of the screen towards you and people duck. But they are also laughing at the same time. Nobody is terrified and crying. That they're going to shoot us with arrows because they know those arrows are not real. They can't hurt you. So the not real arrows become entertainment. And then somebody was presenting a plate of laddus, Indian sweets. And the the person presenting it put it like this, and in, in the the special effect, 3D effect, it came out and hovered in front of you. And I could see little kids you know, sort of swiping it, trying to get hold of the... But they were also laughing. They know it's not real. They're they not uh, worried about why are we not able to get it. So whether tempting or scary, this entire world is an appearance and you are the reality behind that appearance. I've also told you the story about the, the Swami in the Himalayas uh, many times, so I won't repeat it. Uh, how they showed him a TV picture of the, of the Ganga in the Himalayas. They showed him a TV picture of the Ganga and uh, the Swami said, Oh, I could see the water, I could hear the water gurgling. And so I asked, give me a glass of the holy Ganga water. And they laughed and said, how can we do that? It looks like that, it sounds like that, but there's nothing there. It's just a box. It's just a show. And the Swami turned to us and said, showing the mountain ranges and the forests and the river, said, Oh monks, it all looks like that. There's nothing there. It's a show. There's nothing there means? What does it mean there's nothing there? Don't look to it for satisfaction. We have been looking to samsara for satisfaction. I'll get satisfaction out of my toys. I'll get satisfaction out of relationships. I'll get satisfaction out of money. I'll get satisfaction out of um, name and fame. I'll get satisfaction out of children and grandchildren. Who amongst us we can claim that at this moment we are completely satisfied? This is Swami, you can't claim that there is no satisfaction there. There is some satisfaction, but not what we expected. If we really expected it to be, um, uh, what we, we really got what we expected, we should be fully satisfied by now. It should all be, the whole world should be at peace. If you've got a range of things which you wanted, you wanted money, you've got it. You wanted relationships, you've got it. You wanted name and fame and achievement, to some extent you've got it. You wanted children and grandchildren, to some extent you've got it. Why aren't the seven billion people of the world at peace? Recently Robert Wright, who has written this book, Why Buddhism is True, he discusses it. He says this is very natural. He's an evolutionist, neo-Darwinian, and he says it makes perfect sense that the samsara is not satisfactory. Why? He says modern psychology has also discovered that we continuously tend to overrate the satisfaction we will get by something in the world. That's how advertising works. That's how the modern economy runs. You buy something with great expectation, and then you get some kind of joy from it, but far less than what you would expected. It's called the hedonism trap. Why is this so? Why is that the world seems to promise much more satisfaction than it gives us? Robert Wright gives a very nice explanation from Darwin, uh, Darwinian biology, evolutionary biology. He says it has to be like that. After all, we are, we are animals produced by a long process of evolution. Nature has certain purposes which it has to serve, but we have to get accomplished through us. Primarily reproduction. And also, along with that, you must eat and stay healthy and remain alive from predators. Don't allow the lions to eat you up or something like that. So basically, you are designed as a biological machine which must survive, which must be healthy and which must reproduce. This is what nature wants from the machine. How do you make the machine do it? Put in the pleasure impulse. 
if you make the machine that biological machine that if i do these things eat a sugary donut that's the example he gives eat a sugary donut i'll get a lot of pleasure why nothing very special about it chemically speaking or but because sugar was necessary for early man in the savannas or in the forests and sugar was rare at that time you would get it only from fruits or something like that wherever you got it you better take it it's a ready source of energy so it tricks you into taking that and whatever it is finding a mate competing looking for status in society he gives applications in modern society in manhattan here all drawn from the evolution designed to make us function live and reproduce in african savanna some of it is functional some of it is dysfunctional in the modern environment he says it makes perfect sense that samsara should be very disappointing for you it's overrated because biology wants it to be overrated the purposes of biology are served but your purpose as an as a conscious being sentient being it's not served you're bound to be disappointed by nature and then he he writes that having given the very beautiful analysis using buddhism and the same conclusions as vedanta and then the practice and, and evolutionary biology and then he says i knew this already even before studying buddhism then what else do, did i learn from buddhism he said that i knew all this by studying science but still i found i could not control myself i know nature is tricking me i know i'll be unhappy if i follow this path pleasure seeking i'll be unhappy but i still do it then i realize he writes then i realize the wisdom of the multiple practices which are given in these traditions importance of meditation and you see pratyahara why if i'm con- continuously in front of something tempting i cannot concentrate because my biological machinery will kick in and keep my attention focused outside so the yogi say shut out the senses first shut dash put pull down the shutters first you know if you want to concentrate inside it makes perfect sense what you understand from science he says that you can actually implement in your life if you follow spiritual discipline especially meditation he gives so pratyahara know this so by realizing the atman in everything that you experience that leads to control of the senses that person that the prince who realized that it's not uh, it's not the princess of kashi what happened to his desire for the princess of kashi it disappeared by what by seeing himself in the princess of kashi exactly that is mentioned visheshu atmatam drishtva by seeing yourself in all things control the senses senses will be automatically controlled what's there more than what's here nothing just as you would not desire some uh, something on a movie screen just as you would not hanker for something that you saw in the dream dream pizza in the fridge when will i go back to sleep and dream so that i can eat it nobody spends time thinking about such things why because they are not real they are i myself my own mind in that particular form exactly in the same way when you realize you the pure consciousness are appearing as this world the tendency of the senses to run after this or that will be reduced will come under control in this way manasa chiti majjanam what a beautiful phrase plunge the mind again and again into the ocean of brahman dip the mind dunk the mind into brahman into pure awareness wherever the mind goes see brahman there and dunk the mind in there chiti majjanam chiti means in consciousness majjanam means drowning it or dunking it or dipping it in brahman this should be practiced by the seekers after liberation mumukshubhi this is pratyahara nothing wrong with the yogic pratyahara that's necessary but this is a deeper higher practice next step dhyana uh, dharana pratyahara next step dharana focus 
Now that you have controlled the senses, now you have to focus. This is the preliminary step to meditation. Dharana. You see, this is the distinction between Pratyahara, Dharana and Dhyana. From a Vedantic point of view. Pratyahara is based on the object. Take the object and analyze it to see the easiness in that. Take the thought, analyze it to see the consciousness in that. To note the consciousness in that. That is Pratyahara. Withdrawal from the object or the thought. What is Dharana? Dharana is based not on the object but on space. We will see the yogic dharana is keeping the mind focused on a particular space. Desha Vandhas Chitta Dharana, that is the sutra in Patanjali Yoga Sutra. Keeping the mind focused on a particular space, bind the mind in this space. I'll come to that. But, but Vedanta says, in all space, wherever you are, you see Brahman. That is Vedantic Dharana. And Dhyana meditation, in yogic dhyana, all the time, one after another, keeping the mind fixed on the object of meditation. And in Vedantic dhyana, all the time, uh, keeping the mind on Brahman or seeing Brahman or realizing Brahman. So, these three, keep it, uh, you can understand it this way. Based on object, pratyahara. Based on space, dharana. Based on time, dhyana. Desha Kala Vastu, this is the phrase used in Vedanta. Time, space and object. Every object analyze and see Brahman behind it. Everywhere see Brahman. Every time see Brahman. That is the Advaitic Pratyahara Dharana Dhyana. Beautiful insight. Now, let us go to the Dharana verse. We will see Yogic Dharana and, and Vedantic Dharana. So now we are really getting into the inner practice, innermost practice of meditation. Yatra yatra mano yati, yatra yatra mano yati, Brahmanas tatra darshanat, Brahmanas tatra darshanat, Manasodharanam chaiva, Manasodharanam chaiva, Dharana saparamata. Naranasa Paramata Whatever the, wherever the mind goes The steadiness of the mind Meditating on Brahman there itself That is called the supreme dharana The most liberal dharana Wherever the mind goes If you see Brahman there That's the best dharana The most liberal dharana Most universal dharana Focus Immediately you can see the difference between the yogic approach And the Vedantic approach the very phrase, yatra yatra mano yati, wherever, wherever the mind goes. The yogi will say, what do you mean wherever the mind goes? It shouldn't go wherever. Don't go wherever. Stay. It's like I see in the park, dog is acting up and the, the person who's walking the dog says, stay. And the dog goes quiet, stays in a particular place. If you do that, stay to the mind. That is called dharana. How do you do that? There are techniques. One way is in, in yoga, desha bandha. Fix the margin or the boundaries in space. This is a good practice. See, step by step, your focus should improve. So, where do you keep the mind? Space, where? Keep the mind. Yoga, your teacher might have told you, meditation teacher. Keep the mind on the lotus of the heart. Which means, if the mind goes anywhere else. Mind goes anywhere else, what do you mean by mind going anywhere? Mind thinking about something else. If it is something other than this space, you bring it back to this space. That is called dharana. Fixing the mind in a space. For example, another, another recommendation. In, in the uh, Yoga Sutras, um, the commentaries, Vyasa, he talks about fixing the mind in the, the navel center or in the heart center or in the light between the eyebrows like that. Or there are other techniques. Fix the mind in the space of that picture. 
you tell yourself the next 15 minutes my eyes and will not leave that picture that is pratyahara you have taken your senses from elsewhere now my mind will not leave in that picture whatever i think about will be within the dimensions of that picture you have fixed the mind in a space to make the space more interesting you have an image a deity the beloved form of krishna or ramakrishna there that is dharana if i just say there is a dot on the wall and you keep your mind there okay that's also dharana but it's a bit boring after some time instead of the dot you can think of god in a beautiful form of god of krishna or kali or ramakrishna or christ or something and you have an icon an image a symbol and you keep your mind there that is dharana yogic dharana the moment it goes elsewhere what do you do you recognize it has gone elsewhere pull it back to the space that is dharana slowly step by step the mind becomes focused right now it's jumping all over the universe bring it back to a space so you're using a space to lock your mind into that space that is called yogic dharana vedantic dharana is just the opposite which space should you keep the mind in any space what should you think about anything yatra yatra mano yati what wherever wherever the mind goes wherever it goes means it's a space metaphor but basically it means whatever it thinks about so wherever it goes it could be here it could be outside mind and gone outside you know what's the condition of the subway i have to take the train back and uh, mind could have gone to uh, another country uh, mind could have gone to your uh, inside the mind itself to your pet anxiety or your uh, pet expectation or something so the repetitive thoughts wherever the mind goes there itself you see brahman all that you have to do is there discern it is none other than brahman the vision should penetrate through don't look at the object okay here is the difference between pratyahara and dharana very a subtle but important difference it's the same practice when in pratyahara you look at the object and see that it's an appearance it's mithya it's false that's withdrawal it is none other than the princess of kashi is not real that's pratyahara you're withdrawn the desire is gone but it is none other than myself i am brahman then that is dharana focus the same thing very subtle two sides of it one side of it is withdrawal from the world by noting it's an appearance it's false it's not real the other side of it is noting that it is brahman and focusing there staying there that is dharana focus one monk told us it's like superman having x-ray vision so for a vedanta student your vision should be like x-ray vision not going into the skin and the flesh and the blood and the bones but rather going through the name and form and seeing the isness awareness everywhere in every experience that is dharana you see vedanta says i can conclude with this vedanta says that it's good to close your eyes and go inwards but you must see brahman outwards also if brahman is inside brahman is outside it's good to not to be restless and settle down is it necessary yes ne- necessary to sit quietly in asana steady posture but you also have to see brahman in other than the asana in walking talking cooking driving brahma arpanam brahmahavi brahma karma samadhina one must see the one who sees brahman in every action not just sitting still withdrawing the mind from father mother husband wife children colleagues and um, the latest hollywood or bollywood star back to the picture of, of of the lord yes that is dharana no doubt but when the mind goes to all of them there itself see the lord that also must come so vedanta is it includes your entire experience nothing is left out leaving it out is a preliminary practice so that you can discover brahman you can uncover brahman within yourself once you have done that you must see it 
everywhere, space, every time. So both in all space and in all time, one must be able to see Brahman. Does that mean that the Vedantist is always trying to see Brahman everywhere? Not trying, but if necessary, if the person is practicing Nididhyasana, the person will be able to see or will be trying to see that. The advantage of this practice is, uh, it's a more mature kind of spirituality. Spirituality with not only with eyes closed, but with eyes open. Can you do Vedantic meditation with eyes closed? Of course, and you must. But you can also do it with eyes open. You can do it while sitting in asana, you can do it while acting, walking, talking, driving. You can do it in a, uh, while you are alone, you can do it in the midst of a big crowd, in your family, in your office also. You can do it when you are doing a puja and a meditation, or you can do it when you are uh, cooking or doing your office work or whatever. You can do it when you are feeling particularly holy and spiritual. You can do it when you are not at all inter- feeling not at all interested in holiness, spirituality or, uh, or religion. You're, whatever your mind is thinking about, Brahman is there itself. Without the light of Brahman, without consciousness, you can't even think of anything. You can't see anything, taste anything, smell, touch, anything. So that is Vedantic Dharana. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu